Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This message was given by Michael Christie at our Burragoon campus. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. Good evening. Let me add my welcome. It's wonderful to be back here tonight. It's been a while, but it's my joy to continue our series looking at the Word of Prophets. And last week we looked at turn from complacency in the book of Amos. We're looking at the lesser known prophets in the Old Testament. Tonight it's turn from presumption from the book of Habakkuk. And presumption is one of those uh, odd words of the English language that we don't use that much anymore in the day to day. But it has two possible meanings that I just want to cover off as we begin. And the first meaning of presumption is something that we accept to be true even though we don't know it for certain. You know, so when I uh, get up out of bed and go to work each day, I presume that I'll make it to work safely. You know, I don't know that for certain, but I've done that every day, and so I presume that it'll be the case. When I go to bed at night, I presume that I'll wake up in the morning, because that's what always happens, but who knows for certain. Last night, when I preached down at Kubi, I presumed that uh, I'd be able to get through the whole sermon without the power going off. Now, that was not to be the case. <laughs> this morning, I presumed that when I went to preach at Kubi in the morning, that we'd have someone on sound and that everything would be sorted for the worship team and for the message, and there wasn't. <laughs> and so, you know, you can't take these things for granted. I presume, as a Fremantle Dockers fan, that we won't win the AFL Grand Final next year. That's, I don't know that for certain. I certainly don't want that to be the case, but 25 years of evidence to the contrary just... Leaves me in that awful position. The second meaning of presumption, which is a little bit closer to what we'd be talking about tonight, is behavior that goes beyond what is right or proper because of self-confidence, or we might say overconfidence, or arrogance. And, you know, when uh, you say a word like presumption, some of the other words associated with it is things like pridefulness or boasting, being uh, brash, even rude. And so we might think of uh, obnoxious sports people, you know, certain uh, tennis players maybe, certain Australian tennis players. Uh, We might think of uh, NFL sports people who do their carry-ons after every touchdown. Or you might be like me and think of uh, the President of the United States of America, uh, Mr. Trump. And uh, this was one of his tweets in early October when America announced they were pulling troops from... Syria, he said these words, as I've stated strongly before, and just to reiterate, if Turkey does anything that I, in my great and unmatched wisdom, consider off limits, I will totally destroy and obliterate the economy of Turkey I've done before. You know, it's that part where he tells the whole world of his great and unmatched wisdom that probably tends towards an example of presumption. Trump's not the only one. History hasn't remembered kindly others who have done the similar things. In 1876, a telegraph giant, Western Union, said this about the telephone. This telephone has too many shortcomings to be seriously considered as a means of communication. The device is inherently of no value to us. Not so true. In the 1920s, uh, a man named David Sarnoff started to uh, pioneer the release of commercial radio and he needed investors. So he went to his business associates and asked for them to invest in this commercial radio and their response was this, the wireless music box has no imaginable commercial value. Who would pay for a message sent to nobody in particular? Also proven not to be true. 
1899, on the verge of the century, with probably the most inventions we've ever seen in the sense of microwaves, televisions, toilets, fridges, cars, airplanes, the uh, US Office of Patents Commissioner said, everything that can be invented has been invented. Perhaps a bit presumptuous. The British Parliamentary Committee, when they determined that Thomas Edison's electric light bulb said this, it's unworthy of the attention of practical and scientific men. And the last one there is my favourite. When the Beatles were first uh, seeking to be represented, their manager went to Decca recording there in 1962 and this was their response. We don't like their sound and guitar music's on the way out. They certainly showed that to be presumptuous. And it's easy to judge these people. It's easy to laugh at them in hindsight. But the truth is that presumption is something that we're all guilty of. Because at the heart of presumption, it's part of our sinful nature that decides that we want to be God. We want to sit on the throne. It's that little independent voice within us that says, I know better. I deserve. I feel. I want. I know. You know, Frank Sinatra sang proudly, I did it my way. You know, it's that attitude that we know best and we know best even when it comes at the cost to others and even ourselves. Worse still, it leads us away from relationship with God. It leads us to spiritual death and earthly trouble. And this is why God in his love and his mercy intervenes through his word to Habakkuk and he warns us, each one of us, to turn away before it's too late. Just some background information before we move to our passage tonight. The book of Habakkuk, only three chapters long, and it's a bit of a strange one. It's not an easy read. It's not your typical Isaiah where there's these described ecstatic experiences and thus saith the Lord. It's really this very genuinely honest conversation between the prophet Habakkuk, whose name means to embrace which really does describe some of his journey in this book, a journey of embracing God and his truth. But it's a conversation between him and God that's commentary on what's going on in their time and it span and covers a period of a long time. So in, from 609 to 587 BC, what's going on at this time is the people of Judah are, are in a state of moral decline. They're participating in every immoral practice you can think of, the Bible says. Detestable practices like every other nation and they've been persisting in that regardless of warning after warning. And so as they're facing this this situation, the Babylonian army have come upon their borders and have started to destroy their Jerusalem and the surrounding areas and overrun them. And so in chapter 1, Habakkuk sees all the wickedness and the violence and the injustice amongst his own people and he cries out to the Lord and then he sees it from the Babylonians coming in and he cries out to the Lord. And that's where we pick up in our passage today in Habakkuk 2 verses 1 to 4 and Jasmine's going to read that for us. Thank you, Jasmine. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end 
and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by faithfulness. Thank you. Another version, the ESV, which I like, says in that verse 4, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. And that's the verse we'll be focusing on in particular, looking at what we can learn about this issue of presumption versus faith in Habakkuk. And the first thing I want to highlight is that presumption really comes when we either have a higher opinion of ourselves or a lower opinion of God. We lose sight of God, or we lose our faith. And in verse 4, that word for puffed up, which is where the English word presume comes into play, can actually and really is translated as to be swollen, to swell up. And it's used to describe a tumour growing in the body and protruding out. You can see it as it kind of bulges from the body as it swells and grows and leads to death. It might be similar to us to say, today saying that a person has a big head, you know, so big they'll struggle to fit out the doors as they go out. It's a way of saying that they're full of themselves, full of pride, full of their own self-interest. And in Habakkuk, it refers particularly to these Babylonians as they swarm in and as they accumulate wealth and overtake all the territories around them, they become powerful, they become successful, they have wealth beyond their imaginations. And so they start to see themselves as God, as kings, as rulers over the earth. They don't need God in any earthly sense. They are the center of the universe. And there's this real warning for us today in the same sense because compared to the rest of the world and any other time in history, really, we in this country have similar circumstances. We live in immense comfort, immense wealth, immense opportunity. You know, we can order food to our doors if we want to. We have supermarkets that throw out as much food as they sell. We, you know, have 40 degree days like yesterday and yet we sit in the comfort of our air conditioning or go for a dip in our pools. You know, when we fall on hard times, we have a government and charity and other organisations that provide for us in our earthly need. We have great health care and education. My daughter actually was in hospital a month or two ago and I was just overwhelmed with gratitude at how amazing our Perth Children's Hospital is. We were seen too quickly. We were treated with uh, warmth and grace and you know the whole process over a couple of days was really amazing. We have our beautiful homes, we drive nice cars, but as a nation we've forgotten where it all came from. We've turned away from God, believing that we don't need him anymore. You know, he's an inferior thought now to us as a nation, as a society. We don't need God. Look at what we've, we've gotten here on all, all on our own. We're doing fine. And so we take him out of government. We take him out of our schools. We take him out of the media, every, every public arena. God is missing And, you know, we even try and take the Christ out of Christmas. It's getting silly. We pass laws that abuse the sanctity and dignity of life. We pass laws that overturn morality as we've known it for thousands of years. We are swelling up as a nation. 
But what I don't want us to do is to, to look outside the four walls and point the fingers because the issue lies with as much us as it does those who don't proclaim the name of Christ. It's easy for us to believe the same thing. You know, we don't consciously think it, oh, I don't need you, Lord, but we live as though that's true. You know, we become comfortable with putting God on the sidelines. We let him cheer us on. Go, Michael, you're doing great. Oh, love, grace, peace, mercy, justice. But then the minute he tries to coach me or be the captain of my team, I start to say, whoa, Lord, give me space. You know, your job's over there. You're my champion. You're my cheerer. I'm going to, I've got this game. Never mind. Presumption also comes when we struggle to see God at work in our world and in our own lives. And that word for puffed up, for presume, can also mean to shrink back or to lose faith. It's the way the Septuagint, the Greek Bible, translated that word. It's also the way Hebrews 10 understands it. When Christians are facing incredible persecution and suffering, and the Hebrews writer says, don't shrink back when he quotes this verse in Habakkuk. Don't turn away. Don't lose your faith. Because what can happen is when we struggle and fall on hard times, we start to wonder and question, is God really there? Is he really good? Does he really love me? Maybe I had it wrong at first. How could a good God possibly let me suffer and struggle in this time? And so this other aspect of presumption is that we start to lose sight of him and think, actually, you know what? Life would be better off without him. That's the heart of Habakkuk's own personal struggle as he sees the world around him crumbling and he sees these these godless Babylonians ruling the earth around him. He starts to wonder. He starts to call upon the Lord. The second aspect of presumption that comes in verse 4 itself is it says that the desires of the puffed up are not upright. And that word for desires is, is soul or inner life. It's the will. It's that capacity that God created us with to choose good, to choose love, to choose life in relationship with him because he's not a violent God. In his heart, his nature is to invite us in, to embrace us into a journey with him. He doesn't want to force us. We're not robots. We have choice. But having that choice means that we can pursue whatever we want, whenever we want it, regardless of the cost to ourselves and to those around us. And so Habakkuk 2, as it continues on, talks in verses 6 to 20 about the consequences of following our own path in presumption. Swelling up leads us to things we, don't, we shouldn't do, and that then leads us to destruction and to ruin. You know, it's similar to, uh, it works in a similar way to a story that my daughter told me recently, a true one that uh, she was told at the Perth Zoo when she had a visit there recently. And the zookeeper told her about this um, gorilla, or it might have been a baboo, that they had there in this enclosure. And uh, in the enclosure, and thanks, 
And in the enclosure was a pond and this duck used to live on this pond and it would swim around and have a happy life and the gorilla would go about its business. But one day the zookeepers noticed that this gorilla went and placed some food right by the shore of the pond. And sure enough, the duck wanders out, grabs the food from the shore, goes back to its pond while the gorilla sits from the other side looking on. Well, the zookeepers notice the next day that the gorilla does the same thing, but this time leaves it slightly further away from the shore of the pond. Resumes its position at the other side. Sure enough, duck comes up, takes the food. Happens a third day, happens a fourth day. Keeps happening until the bread gets to within arm's length of the gorilla and the duck, as it bends down to pick up the bread, gets snatched by the gorilla, shoved in the gob and eaten and death. It's not all happy stories in this life. But this is how presumption works. It slowly, progressively causes us to stray from the safety of the pond where what is good for us and everything we need is provided, but we catch wind of something else and we decide that's better for us. And before we know it, we're consumed by it. And we don't recognize how far we've strayed and we end up in strife. For those of you grieving the duck, you might be pleased to know that it turned out it was diseased and it killed the gorilla. (laughs) Isn't there a beautiful poetic irony about that? You know, we have an enemy too that will face his own destruction. As he tempts us from the shore, he too will find his own end. Of that we can be sure. You know, this thing about presumption is that we don't often understand that it's within us you know the whole point of arrogance and self-confidence is that it makes us feel and think and believe that we're actually doing okay I'm okay if we thought that then if we didn't think that then we wouldn't be presumptuous that's the whole point so we don't often see when it's at work in our own lives it's difficult to discern And like I say, with the duck, he didn't have any clue that he was heading towards a perilous end. And it's the same for us. So I just have some warning signs at the risk of being stoned that I want to raise that presumption may be at work in our own hearts, in yours and in mine. The first warning sign that presumption is at play is that you're happy to serve God, but only in an advisory capacity. So you're happy to tell him what to do, happy to give him your list of demands, not so happy to receive his word to you, not so happy to let him advise you. Another way presumption can be at work is, or be a sign that it's there is when we find it hard to express praise or thanksgiving, you know, because the idea of presumption is it wants the glory for itself. It wants to be recognized It wants to be praised. It wants to be wanted and loved in an unreasonable way. If you find it hard to express praise and thankfulness to God, then something might be wrong. You know, presumptions at work when we're defensive or easily offended or unable to be teachable by someone who has our best interests at heart. You know, we don't don't want correction. We don't like being wrong. 
That's the one that gets at me. (laughs) That's when I know I'm in trouble. I hate being wrong and I hate that being exposed to other people. It's presumption at its worst. You know, we can be quick to judge and criticize other people. That's a sign of presumption. When we look down on people, how could they do that? How could they do that? You know, particularly people who are struggling in ways we haven't had to or don't, it's, we're quick to judge them in our pride and our arrogance, especially when we don't even know their situation and what they're going through. But even if we do, you know, when we're presumptuous, another warning sign is that you care more about what other people think of you than you care about what God thinks about you. You let the opinion of others dictate how you live your life and how you respond to situations when God says, no, this is who you are. This is how I see you. This is the truth. Presumptions at work when we put our own wants and desires above other people around us, even when we know it's going to bring them hurt and pain. Presumptions at work when we excuse the sin in our lives without any sense of remorse or repentance. You know, we take advantage of the blank check of God's blood, Jesus' blood shed, and we just say, oh, you know, God's got me covered. And we have no understanding of the damage that sin does to ourselves first, to our Heavenly Father who loves us, wants to be united with us, and then the world around us. Sin is not something to be sneezed at. It's grievous, it's hurting. And presumption makes us think that it's okay. And we let it go. And worse still, we excuse it because God's got it. You know, presumption's at work when we love God only when we're going well in life. You know, when things are good, when things are easy, when we're feeling hashtag blessed. But then the minute something goes wrong, or our circumstances change or we struggle, we start to say it's not worth it. You're not good, God. I've had enough. If any of those areas persist in your life as they often are in mine, then presumption may be at work. And Habakkuk 2.4 urges us to turn away from them when we're aware and turn towards a righteousness that comes by faith. So before I close, just want to touch on a couple of ways that we can do this, that we can turn away from our presumption towards faith. And the first thing that I just want to raise from Habakkuk is that what he does when he faces this challenge in his own life is he takes his burdens and his fears and his doubts to God. He doesn't let them turn him away from God. He lays them at God's feet And he challenges him about it and he wrestles with it with God and he waits and he listens and he watches for God's response. He writes it down and he waits and he trusts and he looks for the Lord to come along. You know, he doesn't uh, go to bury himself in his work. He doesn't hit the bottle, doesn't distract himself 24-7 with his phone because his thoughts are plaguing him. He doesn't go to the one friend he knows who'll tell him what he wants to hear. He gets down on his knees and he bears his soul before the Lord. And he says why and how. And as he journeys with that, he comes through it as he sees the Lord respond. God will do the same in our own lives if we're willing 
to do that journey with him, regardless of our circumstances. But we also, that comes with a caveat. We need to understand that God is God and he's free to respond to us as he sees best, not necessarily the way we want him to. It's one of the frustrating things, one of the hard things to understand. But sometimes he responds quickly, sometimes he responds slowly. You know, the indications in Habakkuk is that he didn't hear God answer him for years even, but he persisted in that journey of faith. Sometimes God answers loudly, clearly, you know, hard to miss. We'd be hit in the face if we walked into it. Other times he answers with silence, but he's still an answer and he's still responding And he's shown us by coming into the world through Christ that he doesn't stand above us or above our struggle and our suffering. He actually came into the world. Think about this. God himself, the divine, the essence of life itself came into human form to say to you and to me today, once and forever, I am not above you. I have come into the struggle with you. I am in this with you. You are not alone. Hold on to that. Trust that. That symbol reminds us every day that God is with us and in this and for us, no matter what our earthly circumstances or other voices or the world might try and make us believe. Turn to him when presumption rises in the hard times. Another thing we can do is cultivate a life of repentance, of humility and accountability before God and others because this idea of turning away from, this whole series, turn from, is really just what repentance means. It means a change of mind, a change of will, a change of heart. I was walking this way, but now I'm going to go this way. And we can develop a life, a practice of this repentance of humility in specific ways that I just want to touch on briefly tonight. But it begins firstly with acceptance that God is God. He is creator. We are created beings. He is God. I am not. We need to accept that and that apart from him, there's actually, we're flawed. We're broken. We're sinful. We're actually shameful. I mean, if, if you, you hear me say those words and you find it jarring or difficult to accept, that's presumption. We don't hear it much plain and simple these days. But apart from God, we are broken. There's something wrong with us. We've spent thousands of years as human beings proving that time and time again. As we destroy each other, we go to war, we abuse one another. There's nothing good about us apart from God. And so spiritual practices like meditating on the word, which we talk about a lot, digesting what God says is truth, you know, embracing it, receiving it, reminding ourselves of it, letting it wash us, letting it permeate it with us, sit with us until we understand it, till his Holy Spirit illuminates within us, which sometimes takes time, but engaging in that process of meditating on the word, fasting. I was amazed as I sat there tonight and heard one of our baptizees, I can't remember who, mentioned fasting. 
thought, wow, that's what I had tonight, but I never hear much talk on it anymore. But fasting doesn't have to be from food. It can be from social media, it can be from Netflix, it can be from whatever distracts you enough where you lose sight of who God truly is and you have this inflated sense of self. We can regularly confess sin to God each day. Bear your heart out before the Lord. Lord, which ways am I going wrong? Please reveal it to me. We can confess our sin to one another. Again, not a popular thing, but just Matthew's uh, courage tonight in confessing his sin to all of us was just good. See the smile of God as he did that because we don't do it enough but there is power in it. The Bible says, confess your sins one to another and you'll be healed. That's the New Testament. And as the Catholic Church, they've done that well, but it perhaps got a bit overextended to the point where we as Protestants or evangelicals started to think that we didn't need it anymore, that we were too good for it, too high for it, or we stopped trusting one another enough with it. But confession to sin is, to one another is real. It's purposeful. Do it with people you trust, but don't avoid it. You know, we, that's why we do small groups, so we can journey closely enough with one another to be honest before one another, where we don't have to hide the darkness within us. We don't have to hide the, the gnarly things that uh, we're sh- ashamed of. God wants us to bring these things out into the light so we can be delivered from them. But if we hold on to them, then we lose that ability. Last thing in terms of humility can be doing acts of service in secret uh, because one of the things that doing uh, service, doing something good to someone, there's always that little voice that wants to make sure we got enough thanks for it or got enough gratitude from someone or saw enough fruit or reward from it. We very rarely have the ability to just go and do something nice and good for someone else without feeling any attachment to the result. You know, even as a church, there's a real danger that we, even in leadership, think that we need to see fruit, we need to see a result for us to do good. But that's not the way of the cross. God died for every single sinner, regardless of whether they turned to him or not. I mean, I hope we believe that. It says he died to save the whole world, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, that whoever believes will not perish but have everlasting life. You know, we need to do these things to remind ourselves that we need a saviour. It's not so much to beat us up, don't misunderstand me. It's to understand that we need a saviour, that on our own we're not right. There's something wrong. We need God because that's the third aspect I just want to finish with is that turning away from presumption towards faith means embracing wholeheartedly, with that heart position that it's the righteousness that God gives us through faith in his son Jesus that is only worth something. We can't be righteous. You know, Habakkuk says the righteous person will live by faith. Well, that righteousness now comes from God. Paul writes in Habakkuk 2, uh, sorry, in Romans 1, he talks about Habakkuk 2, 4, saying this, in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed. Righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And this is what God was pointing to about the appointed time 
in Habakkuk, there will come a time when I make you righteous. And so as we turn from presumption, we need to accept in our hearts the beauty of the gospel, that just as we are this fallen creature, God says, I've got you. He freely loves, he freely saves, and he gives an everlasting life as he revealed through the death and resurrection of Jesus. He's bestowed his very own righteousness upon us through the presence of Christ and his Holy Spirit in our life. God's own righteousness has become our own. His quality of goodness, his potential for mercy, for justice, for love. And he's chosen to do it not because we've earned it or deserved it, but simply because he wanted to. Because he couldn't stand to be without us. Couldn't stand to be without you or with me. He just asks us to accept that that's how it's done. Through his son Jesus. Through the reception of his Holy Spirit into our hearts. So that we can experience life and life in abundance. The question is tonight, do each one of us really trust that? Do we accept that and do we live by that? Have we within our hearts believed it? If you have yesterday, then it's your daily task today and each day to the end of your days. I close with this quote from Brennan Manning. He reminds us that faith is not just belief in the existence of God. He says, the difference between faith as belief in something that may or may not exist and faith as trusting in God is enormous. The first is a matter of the head, the second a matter of the heart. The first can leave us unchanged, the second intrinsically brings change. Tonight as we close, consider for yourself Have you just believed in the existence of God without embracing in your heart this trust in his love and his mercy and grace that he's just demonstrated through Christ? Can you accept that? Can you live by it? Can you respond? Let's pray together. Father, in this moment of quiet, would you reveal to us where we're at would you help us to search our hearts which can be deceitful above all else tonight as we sit have we accepted that righteousness comes from you alone and do we live in the joy and the freedom of that have we encountered it for real or like the duck have we strayed from the shore Are we wandering towards a ruin that we can't even see? Holy Spirit, would you go to work tonight? For those who are struggling, Lord, would you touch their hearts right now and remind them that you are near, that you never leave us nor forsake us. even now, would you reveal to us any way you want us to respond? Thank you for your son. Thank you that his grace 
His mercy and His love is enough for us. Help us to embrace that with everything we are and have. In Jesus' name, Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329-1777. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.